This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. Safety is an illusion. It's the lie we tell ourselves for comfort. Once you let go of this idea that this place is more or less safe, you're not safe anywhere. Being a Black person living in the United States, my life is in danger on a daily basis by doing nothing more than existing as a Black person. Any place I go in the world, I don't think is going to be worse than that. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered, free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens, Free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright and this is Blacksit Global. Welcome to the season premiere of season four of the Blacksit Global podcast. I am so excited and delighted to have a fellow podcaster joining me today all the way from Mexico City, none other than Picky Girl Travels. Yes, Adelia Aborashade. Welcome to Blacksit Global. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For those people who don't know you, can you give them a little taste of Adelia? Oh, wow. Um, I'm sure they can tell from my accent. I am originally from Texas, uh, where I lived for uh, 40 or so years. Uh, My background is in education and technology. Did that for 19 years. uh, I've got two adult children and just welcomed my third, my, I was going to say my third grandchild, but I don't really use the word grandma. So I was going to change that to say my daughter's third child. I moved abroad in 2016 to a very small country that virtually nobody moves to, Honduras. That was an adventure. I stayed abroad and have since lived in Mexico, Kuwait, China, you know, doing my thing, traveling the world. Those are a lot of places. And I know from your background and backstory that the road wasn't always linear, that you had some difficulties along the way. It's helpful to kind of probe a little bit into that. For some people, they might have said, oh, I went to this country and it wasn't what I thought it would be. 
and I'm better off in my home country and get discouraged right off the bat. You made that jump, but what has propelled you and kept you going to say like, hey, you know what? This is the life for me. I don't necessarily feel like I need to go to the life that I lived before. The life that I lived before was no longer serving me. So to me, going back there was like everything that represented was going back to like unhappiness and just a place that I don't think I fit very well. So when I left, I knew Honduras was not going to be my forever home. I knew that. I had no idea where I would end up, where I would go afterwards. But coming back, that just wasn't in the plan. You know, they say everything is figure outable. So that's what I figured I would do is that when the time came, I'd figure something out. Wow. And so with that, obviously going from country to country, currency to currency, um, you've had to do a lot of planning. How did you go about like the planning process once you decided like, hey, everything is figure outable. This may not be where I am now. There's, you know, 190 plus countries in this world. I will find my home. Honestly, I had been country shopping before I ever ended up in Honduras. I knew I would move abroad. I knew I was looking for a new country. I had a list of the things that I wanted from my new country, like available healthcare that wouldn't bankrupt me, you know, things like that. I had already been compiling a list and organizing that into a table. So when the job opportunity took me to Honduras, that information never went away. And when it became clear that my time in Honduras was going to be cut short and it was like, okay, what's the plan? Where to next? I revisited that. And the time I'd spent in Honduras helped crystallize a few things like living a place that was not walkable was not an option because Tegucigalpa, Honduras is not walkable. Everything is uphill and it's hot. So that helped crystallize that for me, that it was going to be important to have mass transit. And then I used those characteristics, used a couple of online tools like the Earth Awaits to kind of narrow down what are some places, maybe places that weren't on my radar that I could then consider as possible locations to move. So that's that's kind of how the first move happened. And after that, I've really been guided by quality of life. Can I live the life I want there? Living the life that you want. And I know you're a big proponent, as am I, of living life by design and not by default, right? Living life on your own terms. For you, what does that look like today versus when you started your journey abroad? Today, there's a whole lot less work involved in that life. <laughs> um, travel, I got divorced right around, right before I turned 40. And I was determined that the second half of my life would be lived the way I wanted to. And that meant that travel was going to be a big piece of that. Not only did I want to live outside the United States, I wanted to travel. So that piece has remained the same. But my desire, I guess, that first year outside the United States, and I got actually a taste of what work-life balance could be like. And then as I wanted to travel more, I was like, this job is getting in the way 
of how I really want to spend my time. So right now, the life I live now, there is far less of an emphasis on work. It is very much about ease and freedom of my time. How did you get to a place where you were able to enjoy that level of freedom? A lot of people in the community, you know, the expat community at large, aspiring expats, one of their biggest, if not the biggest hurdle is finances. How am I going to fund my lifestyle? How am I going to work abroad? Or thinking incorrectly that they need to have, you know, millions in order to live and support their lifestyle. So for you, I know your background is as a teacher before you made the leap. How is it that you are able to arrive at that level of freedom? We'll be right back. Moving is right up there with death and divorce in the Stress Olympics. But fear not. Turn that box of woes into a crate of woes with moving tips in the Life Beyond Boxes podcast with Premium Q Moving. Dive into the world of hassle-free moves, learn tips and tricks to save on cash and your sanity. Say goodbye to those moving meltdowns and hello to the smooth sailings. Or should we say smooth movings? Tune into Life Beyond Boxes with Premium Q Moving on lifebeyondboxes.com or find us on your favorite podcast platform. And with us, unpack the secrets to a stress-free move. I prioritized my life and I was like, well, what's important? And so when I identified those things and I looked at, well, okay, what is that going to cost? How much do I really need to live that life? And so even at the beginning of my journey abroad, when I was still working because my youngest child was just 15 at the time and I needed to educate her. Um, If anybody has looked at the cost of private education, especially international schools outside the United States, it's it's ridiculous. So, you know, for the first part, my decisions were based around, okay, can I find a job that I do the least amount of work, but I still get free tuition for my kid? I mean, that's how I ended up in China. I wanted to work. I had ended up taking off a year trying to like figure out my life because once I left the U.S., I had been like saving for retirement. And once I was outside the U.S. and I looked at what I was actually living on and I looked at what I had in my accounts, technically, if I did not want to live a very like lavish plush life, just a regular life, I didn't have to go back to work. So that kind of changes the perspective when you don't have that, that, that pressure of, you know, like I'm going to starve. Well, no, I won't, but you know, will I be eating at five-star restaurants? No. So for me, that gave me a little bit of that freedom to sort of let go of like, I got to have a job. I got to make X amount of money. You know, the fact that I took a 60% pay cut when I moved to Honduras kind of put that in perspective because even making less money, I was still able to save 50% of my income. So when I went back to work, because it was like, okay, I've been off I traveled a little more than my budget would allow. So I was like, okay, let's let's regroup here. Let's work a couple of more years, stack some cash. And then 
I'll find something else to do. I guess technically I sort of achieved um, coast fire or barista fire. So that lifted a lot of pressure off of me. And part of the main reason I took the job I took in China was because they were going to pay me, pay my housing. I, I was teaching careers. So basically I was teaching kids like how to write a resume. What should you do in an interview? So to me, that meant very little grading. If anybody's taught in the U.S., you know how much of that kind of stuff takes up your time. Um, so I was like, I can do this job because it does not require a whole lot of me. One, one thing I do want to circle back on, though, is that you talked about coast fire, barista fire as part of a level that you were able to achieve. And so for people who aren't familiar or may even just be familiar with fire and not the different nuances within that, could you do a little explanation about fire and then coast fire? Yes. Yes. Fire stands for financial independence, retire early, which had been something that was on my radar even when I was married, but I was married to somebody who, you know, gets a dollar and it burns a hole in his pocket. So there was no way I was going to achieve that married to that person. However, a lot of the ideas or the principles resounded with me, you know, living within your means, keeping your expenses low, raising your savings rate. So I kind of already had that foundation. And when I left the U.S., I did. I was not thinking in terms of FIRE that I would be financially independent enough that I could retire or that work would become optional. But like I said, once I looked at the cost of living outside the United States and even the little peanuts and ice water kind of money I was making in Honduras, I was like, huh. This is not not doable. And there are different kinds of fire. Uh, there are the people who want to stop working completely. That's the retire early. Um, there are different levels to that. Like how much money does that take? There's fat fire. These are people who in their retire early period of their life are expecting to spend in excess of $50,000 annually. I'm going to keep it real. I barely made more than $50,000 as a 20-year veteran teacher in the U.S. So fat fire was never in the cards. And then there are, there's lean fire. These are people who are probably going to have annual expenses like $20,000, $30,000 a year. When you start looking at the math that way, you see that the number you need is a lot lower. Barista fire or coast fire, which I, that's kind of where I consider myself, this is you have enough money invested that you don't have to continually put money toward retirement. So the money you make really just has to support your life. Because I live outside the U.S. and my expenses are lower, the kind of work I have to do to support my everyday life is far less intensive than it would be to live this life in the United States. So it's like I'm I'm basically I the work that I do supports my everyday lifestyle, what I want to do. But I'm not I'm not worried about 
do I have enough money that I should be putting in my, my IRA or my 401k or whatever? Like that money is taken care of as long as it does what it's supposed to. I'm good. As we're having this conversation, there's been some serious tumult in these U.S. markets. So unfortunately, a, a very uh, big aggression by Russia with Ukraine that has affected really all global markets. And so for people who are, you know, kind of saving for their retirement or saving for their Blacksit or are abroad like yourself and have achieved either FIRE, um, how are you making or what moves, if any, are you making to kind of navigate these tumultuous times? As I mentioned before, I'm about ease and doing as little work as possible. And my investment style reflects that. So honestly, I'm not doing anything. (laughs) Um, I did because At this moment, I happen to be running a Get Started Investing Challenge. And so as part of that conversation, I happened to log into my brokerage account and notice like all of these red numbers. I was like, wow, there's something going on here. Uh, Happened to look at how much money I lost. It's a substantial amount, but I was like, huh, okay. And so I found a little money yesterday, threw it in, bought a little bit more of what I had already had simply because the prices are lower now, but fundamentally there's not anything changing for me. Yep. Buy in the dip, buy in the dip. And if you're playing for long-term and you look, or maybe you try to avoid looking at the paper losses and, uh, and you keep going because I, it's interesting. I had heard this. um, I don't know if it was an actual stat, but basically it was saying that, Um, Black people that are invested in the market behaviorally tend to take money out of the market or sell in the dip out of fear versus buying more, to your point, where you took advantage of the fact that prices were lower. Sometimes you have to like think about your own psychology and your own long-term goals and use that to make your decision rather than trading or investing purely on emotion and and what's going on in the news. You very much have to take the emotion out of it. And I don't want to give it that kind of energy. That is not how I want to spend my day worried about that. So like I said, had it not been for the challenge I'm running this week, I would not have even bothered to look. I look maybe once a year. Wow. You know, you talked about stepping away from, you know, traditional teaching role and living life on your own terms. You have a popular podcast, Picky Girl Travels, and an equally, if not more so popular YouTube channel, Picky Girl Travels the World. So let's talk about Picky Girl Travels the World. Who is she? And why has financial independence, why has financial education been something that you've been so passionate about? Uh, Picky girl travels the world. I am she. She is me. Anybody who has enjoyed a meal with me knows where that name came from instantly. It was, you know, I very much will poke fun at myself. And I have my entire life been a really, really picky eater. 
So, um, you know, it's just, it's a part of who I am. This is going to be a little bit of a downer, but I can, I can see that where this began now that I've had a little therapy and I can look back on my life, but starting from the age of eight years old, I have been responsible for myself other than providing me a place to live. I, I basic, I had to get myself up. I, you know, like I had to figure out how to make money. Like this has been me my whole entire life. I've never had a safety net. When I moved out of my mother's house at 18, she asked for her keys back. So where other people, if things don't go right, they had somebody they could call on, somebody they could ask. I never had that. So trying to understand finances and make sure I was in a good good situation so I wouldn't end up homeless, that was my responsibility. And that forced me to learn things, things that were not taught to me. Uh, I, I grew up in the hood. So, you know, like there weren't people in my life I could look at. And As I accumulated that knowledge and was able to put myself in a good financial situation, I started to notice other people, people who look like me, who were voicing like that they didn't have that knowledge. They didn't understand those things or they, you know, I would hear comments like, um, I know I ought to invest, but I have no idea what to do. And it and so that had always been in the back of my mind because I was a teacher professionally and I've just kind of always been that person, you know, like you don't know how to do something. Ask Adelia. I bet you she knows. It really kind of crystallized for me as, oh, this is what you need to be doing for other people when I was living in Kuwait and the shenanigans my employer was was doing. And I no longer live my life in such a way that I put up with things that don't serve me. So as I looked around at the foolishness that was going on, I was like, I'm done with this. I'm over. I'm over it. I will remove myself. But then I looked around at the people I worked with and why were they sticking around? They weren't in a financial situation to do that. That's when it clicked to me, the freedom that you get when you have your money situation together, when you have control over your finances, it gives you choices. You have the choice not to put up with a bunch of nonsense from the people you work for or the person you're married to or whatever. So that's when it sort of clicked to me like, oh, I know these things. I want to share what I know with other people who don't know these things. One of the things that has become very clear to me over the years is that a lot of the ways that we move through life don't really reflect how we feel. It's more about living within the parameters that society has set for us, particularly for women, particularly for women with children. And so this idea that you as a mother have to make You've got to sacrifice yourself for your children. You keep doing that and you will look around and there will be nothing left. If you are contemplating making this move, but you're 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 on the fence or you're concerned about my children. Initially, when I decided to go, I was that person. The plan was because my youngest was in eighth grade when I got divorced. 
I got rid of the man and I was like, I'm ready to go. But I, I was like, oh, but I'll wait until she graduates. And I looked around and I thought, but it took me a while. But I thought, but why? You know, they have children in other countries. And so when I made the decision that I was going to leave, I was like, hey, kid, I want you to come with me. You know, if there's a specific country you would like to spend some time living in, let me know. I will make an effort to get a job there. And she was not interested. She was like, go. And I know right there that would have stopped a lot of people. My child doesn't want to come with me. I'm not going to go. Um, I, again, I'm going to be transparent here. I was like, well, she has a father. Um, you know, like I am not the only parent here. Um, and so I was like, okay. And then she came, she circled back and she was like, hey, um, I think she got into it with her dad. But she was like, hey, is that offer still on the table? Because I sort of pitched it to her like, look, you can just come for one year. This will be like study abroad. But in high school, you can come back and you can do all the American high school stuff. And so um, she came with me. And I cannot, un I cannot overstate the impact that time abroad had on her. Um, it broadened her horizons like you would not believe. The school that I worked at where she attended she was one of seven kids in her entire grade. So imagine the amount of one-on-one -on -one time she got with her teachers that she was not getting in a classroom of 35 in Texas. Um, and so I, my, my message to parents who are like conflicted about this is don't be. You're, you're the adult. Um, if you can't be happy, you can't preserve yourself, there's no way you can fully parent your child with any kind of quality. So that's that's what I have to say about that. Uh, so now that you have this expanded family, you know, how are you navigating those relationships? Because, you know, I can assume that that has also added some nuances to that, right? You want to be there for you know, certain moments that just because you live in another country may not be um, as accessible, but the same could be true if you were living in, I don't know, California. <laughs> right? Well, and that is very true. And so when my daughter was pregnant the first time, when she went into labor, I wasn't, I was not out of the country, but I was out of the state. I was, at, I was attending graduate school in Oregon. And then when baby number two came, she came a month after I'd moved to China. Uh, and, you know, I, I kind of had a, a half joking, half serious conversation with my daughter and was like, look, I don't know what your expectations are of me, but I was probably never going to be the traditional grandmother anyway. You know, like I'm going to live my life. You're going to live yours. We'll figure out a way to make it work. And she she very much gets that. That's part of moving abroad and becoming an expat or immigrating to another country, you will miss things. You know, I get to see the kids on, you know, we do Zoom and Google Meet and stuff like that. Luckily, now that I live in Mexico, I'm a lot closer. And so I can visit or if there is something that pops up and she needs me, I can go. But it's something you have to be okay with. 
just in general, because that's part of when you make this choice to move abroad, which is, you know, probably not going to be something lots of people in your circle, your current circle are already doing. You just have to kind of make your peace with that. I'm hopeful that in a couple of years, everybody will get passports and they can come see me or we can meet somewhere because I don't particularly enjoy returning to the U.S., that's so, a yeah. sentiment that's been shared by many a people I've had a conversation with is that they feel this uh, weight or heaviness when they come to the U.S. People have preconceived notions about everything, especially as Americans, because uh, while we are this quote unquote superpower, we are very insulated in terms of our knowledge about where our place is in the world and how other people live. As you know, when you've traveled to different destinations, more people in those countries are knowledgeable not only about the United States, but about you know their neighboring country, et cetera. So for you, being in Mexico, we have had in the United States a lot of, dare I say, propaganda about, oh, it's so violent and you have to look out for, you know, all of this crime and hangings and et cetera. But yet every time I'm on the gram and other places and other people I talk to, they're making the move to Mexico. And it runs counter to the images that we in this country see of people fleeing Mexico and trying to come over the border. So from your perspective, where you sit, what has been the reason why you chose Mexico and Mexico City more specifically? And what's been surprising for you about this whole experience? Well, becoming... Uh, an American living abroad, I have a very unique perspective because I taught geography. So I have a lot of knowledge about different places that the average American does not. So whereas I may have been bombarded with that same propaganda, I also had this other pool of knowledge with which to filter that. So there's that piece. It's interesting how, how central fear is to a lot of the way we think as Americans, because part of that propaganda is that the U.S. is such a great, wonderful, safe place, yet I'm from Texas, where you can open carry a weapon with no permit, um, you know, so it's like, if you're so safe, why you need that? But okay, okay. But what I know is that safety is an illusion. It's the lie we tell ourselves for comfort. Once you let go of this idea that this place is more or less safe, you're not safe anywhere. Being a Black person living in the United States, my life is in danger on a daily basis by doing nothing more than existing as a Black person. Any place I go in the world, I don't think is going to be worse than that. This is not to downplay the horrible things that happen other places, but you've got to keep perspective. I have always been someone who enjoyed urban spaces. And I can remember making a comment to somebody about being done visiting Mexico because I had done all of tourist Mexico. And I was like, I don't really like the beach either. So I was kind of like, there's nothing else for me. But I did make an offhand comment like I wouldn't go back to Mexico unless I went someplace like Mexico City. And when I was looking for a job, 
I was a finalist for a job, but it was teaching small children and that's not my jam. So I ended up in Honduras, which at the time was home to the number one, number two murder capitals in the world. That's not to make light of the security situation, but just like as a black person, you find a way to live your life within the confines of the the lack of security we have in the U.S., you can do that anywhere. Now, when it was time for me to leave Honduras, I knew that I wanted to stay in Latin America because one of my goals was to learn Spanish. And so I mentioned earlier about I had these criteria and Mexico City checked a lot of those boxes. This is going to sound horrible, but one of the things that was not on my list was my ability to get back and forth to the United States quickly. Like it probably should have been on my list, but it wasn't. However, it's an hour and a half flight from Mexico City to Houston. So that's an added bonus. Um, And I know, again, I mentioned I taught geography uh, and all of the geopolitical and the the violence issues. Like I am very well aware of that. But as people from the United States, we have to remember all of the janky, horrible stuff that happens in the U.S. Okay, so that stuff happens here. But my safety and how I move and this is going to sound cliche and I know people say it all the time, but I absolutely feel safer here than I did in the United States. It took me being here probably four or five months and I had to go to the U S I think because I was flying somewhere else. And so it was just easier to transit through the U S. And so when that happens, I usually turn that into a slightly longer visit to hang out with my kids or whatever. And that's when I realized the presence of this dread and this weight that I had not been feeling while I was in Mexico. And it occurred to me, like, I was nervous about how I moved around because that's not something I have to think about in my everyday life here. Will I be shot? If I have an encounter with the police, will I survive that? or some vigilante racist who doesn't believe I deserve to be here. So I absolutely feel safer here. That but again, I'm not going I'm not going to make light. There are parts of this country where there are serious security issues. Um, you also mentioned a part of that propaganda we get in the US about Mexicans coming to the US. If anybody's looked at the numbers over the last probably 20 years, the number of Mexicans coming to the U.S. has declined significantly. But thanks to the United States, we've made the political and economic situation in a lot of Central American countries untenable. And you've got a lot of those people who come through Mexico on their way to the United States. That's really helpful to educate people on, you know, all of the nuances and layers that come along with what we see in the sound bite, you have to start to develop your critical thinking skills. And it's unfortunately not something that is encouraged. When I look at, you know, where things are headed in this country, I I don't see things turning for the better because we are very I wouldn't even call it passive learners at this point. (laughs) It's just, you know, 
zombies and we just take in information as it is as fact. And that's an unfortunate thing because as we age out and, you know, the next generation ages in, you know, what does that say for our society, not only from a leadership perspective, but also from citizens in this country? So... What is it like living in a country where English isn't widely spoken? Has it been an opportunity for you to expand your knowledge base on the language? You know, what does that look like for you? Because for some people, they would be, especially if they're making this decision, it, you know, we're around the same age in their 40s, they would say, oh, wow, you know, I can't learn a new language or they feel intimidated by the prospect of doing so. So what has worked for you? There were two dreams I had. I always wanted to live abroad and I always wanted to learn another language. And like everybody else, I studied language in school. Um, I spent a lot of time learning French, of which I can barely remember anything. And so that was important to me. When I first started looking at job opportunities and things like that, you know, my first instinct was to follow the money because that's kind of what everybody does. But the more and more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I really want to learn Spanish. And I I don't know where that came from because I actually took French in school because I did not like the sound of Spanish. So it's totally ironic that I live here now. That's what drew me to Latin America. And I'll be the first one to tell you nobody comes to Latin America for the money. Okay, I took a 60 percent pay cut so that I can live in Honduras to learn Spanish. I have been open to it and I've just seen it as it's something I want to do. Now, I could totally live here and not speak Spanish. I could do that, but that's not why I'm here. I, I want to learn the language. I would love to be fluent, but I've had to you know, have like a come to Jesus moment with myself Um, In order for that to happen, you have to freely speak with people. That's what you have to do the practice. And I like to say I'm an introverted introvert. I am not going to talk to strange people. I don't know. I won't do that in English. I'm sure as hell not going to do it in Spanish. So that is an obstacle to me achieving fluency. However, I continue to try. I made the choice to live in an area where there are very few foreigners, or maybe there are some here, but you don't see them. Um, and that when I go to a store, I go into a restaurant, I whatever, they're going to speak to me in Spanish. And, you know, I always preface everything I say, sorry, my Spanish is not good. And then I blunder along. So for me, that is a big part of the experience. And I'm, I'm open to it. And this is a country, everywhere I've been in this country, people have been very welcoming and understanding of how poor my Spanish is. Um, that was not the case in China. So, you know, I that would not be a good country for me to live in where I have my heart set on learning the language. In a lot of instances, if you at least go in and, and show some level of uh, effort, it will help you as well as Google Translate. <laughs> 
I mean, I have had times where, where I'm trying, this was, I was in Honduras trying to buy a bus ticket and the guy behind the window just whips out his phone. It totally unexpected and starts, he types in what he wants and he held up his phone. And I was like, why had no one done this before? You know, it is doable. It's totally doable. What do you think is next for you? I'm going to keep doing work that matters whatever that happens to look like. Right now, it is about educating and helping Black women master their money. Like I am very, very much passionate about that. I This time that I have been able to live the life that I want and the, the freedom, the joy, the, the peace I have gotten from that, I want that for other Black women. And for me right now, the best way I can help Black women get that is by helping them with their finances. So what's next for me will continue to be in that vein. Um, exactly what that's going to look like beyond what I am doing now, I don't know. I wish I had a better answer. No, that's all right. Nobody has a crystal ball. So Adelia, I've enjoyed this conversation. So I know for people who are inspired by what they've heard, how can people find you, work with you, all of the above? Um, You can find me on YouTube. Uh, The channel is Picky Girl Travels the World. I do live streams every Wednesday. Um, There is usually an episode of the podcast on Mondays and then another video on Friday. So two to three times a week. You can find me on YouTube, uh, Instagram, Picky Girl Travels. If you want to work with me, I offer one-on-one Ask Adelia sessions that are really geared toward what is your individual situation. So some people come to me because they want uh, help visualizing and planning the process of moving abroad, while others are like, I have financial things I want to work on. Um, So I do that. I also run the Get Started Investing Challenge. Uh, Only 26% of investors are women. You can imagine what a small fraction of that is Black women. And so I want to help change that. And to do that, I run this challenge that takes you from, I know nothing, to I have invested, or maybe I invested through that thing I do at work, but I have no clue what's in there or why it's in there, that sort of thing. So yeah, that's how you can work with me. Either one-on-one, join the challenge. Uh, There'll probably be some workshops in the future over specific financial topics. And my website is actually pickygirltravelstheworld.com. Fantastic. I will link all of that in the show notes for this episode. Well, Adelia, it's been an absolute pleasure. I couldn't think of a better way to open up season four than to have this conversation with you. I know that there will be more to come and so many great nuggets that uh, people can glean, not only from this conversation, but from your financial knowledge. So thank you so much for your time today. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for listening to the Blacksit Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksitglobal.com.
It's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.